Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I didn't really think I had a chance of, of shopping it around to anyone. I was in Israel. I didn't have the connections. I didn't yep. know anyone. I didn't go to conventions. I needed to start with something. I needed to put some, show people what I can do and then kind of circle back and say, we could, you know, we could keep doing this. Um, so that was my plan. And, and yeah. it happened. It happened. And it was much uh, more complicated than I thought, but it was, it was cool to realize that. A mysterious mist surrounds a film noir city with citizens possessed by legends that give them superpowers. I sit down with Amit Moshe, a man behind the City of Mist RPG. We discuss the origins of his game's unique setting and mechanics. We learn how it started as a homebrewed setting he played in another system, and then how it became its own. Stick around until the end. We discuss some of the design breakthroughs, what it means to start your own gaming company. This podcast is possible because of the generosity of our patrons. A special thanks go out to a few of our newest floorheads. Jonathan Kennedy, Freed, Farty McButterpants, Johan Hofflin, Michael Hengel, Ben Lawson, and John Sheffield. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, I'm able to bring this podcast on a weekly basis. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with a myth. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to Amit Moshi. He is the owner of the Son of Oaks Game Studio and the creator of the City of Mist RPG. Now, listeners have heard me talk about this RPG. I have been looking forward to having this conversation. I've got questions. <laughs> so, Amit, welcome to the third floor. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So before we dive into City of Mist, um, I've got you for the whole podcast. I do want to start off with um, how you fell into this. So there was a day, probably not yesterday, that you had no idea you could roll dice and create a character sheet and play a role-playing game. So I'd be curious, what was your first exposure to gaming? Yeah, I think uh, maybe the fighting fantasy books started and then a little like a year or two later, I think I was eight or seven and a, a year oh, or two later. Young. Dungeons, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons started, and uh, I gotta say, I mean, and when now looking back, the 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 fact that it was translated into Hebrew and available in Israel in the eighties, that's that's a big thing. So, or I want to say late eighties, early nineties. Um, so that's cool. So yeah, that's that's the people who translated, wherever they are, wherever they are. So that was that's how I got into role playing games. They're they're responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything I do is on them. So <laughs> or say in this uh, podcast. So uh, was it uh, a buddy of yours that had it and said, hey, we got to try this out? Or how did that play out? No, that, that's a question I want to say we're asking me. I, my mom got it for me. She knew oh, I was no like, kidding. you know, living in Dreamland. And she said, why don't you get these? Actually, I should remind it to her because she complained about it so many times since. So, yeah, uh, she, she got it for me. So um, she knew that I would like it. She heard about it. And she actually showed me an article about Dungeons and Dragons as well. So now, my gosh, I haven't thought about it in so long. I'm going to go back. <laughs> so we're going to pause this podcast and Amit's going to go call his mom real quick. Totally, totally. Now it's your fault. 
Now, um, and a lot of people don't, you know, realize this is, um, you know, people that are, are not 20 years old. You know, when we first got role playing games, we didn't have actual plays to look at and to learn about what this is. And, you know, we had to do secret codes to each other so that we knew, you know, everybody knew we were cool and we played role playing games because we didn't, you know, wear a T-shirt that said it. Um, I'd be curious. I mean, at eight, nine years old, I mean, what how hard was it for you to, to grab Dungeons and Dragons and figure out what the hell it was asking you to do? Yeah, um, I thought that, the, you know, the I, f- I forget the, the names of all the characters, but you know the kind of walkthrough of Dungeons & Dragons with the the priestess, the healer, and then the, the whatever it is, the mage at the end. I thought that was a really good introduction. You could kind of get the gist of how you do this on your own, and then you'd meet with friends, and it was chaos. We didn't know what's going on. <laughs> what does it mean? What is a, what is a dungeon master? You know, and you figure out eventually, you do your own thing. It didn't take long. I mean, it, I think by 11, I was running my own campaigns and stuff like Isn't that. Isn't that funny? So that's crazy. Yeah, I think kids get it really, really fast. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, uh, I got, uh, I got, I wish I remember the name, uh, uh, Say No to Evil, which was, uh, is a one for, for kids. And I, my daughter's seven. And uh, no, I bought thank it for you, Evil. No, thank you, Evie. That's it, exactly. I I got that for her, and, you know, I I spent all this time reading it, and I was, you know, like, how am I going to explain this to her? How am I going to expose this to her? Your point is 100% right. Like, three seconds in, my daughter's like, yeah, I got this, Dad. I I understand. Let's just keep playing. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, relax, Dad. I got this. (laughs) That's funny. Um, We we forget how to play, I think, as we get older sometimes. absolutely. And the other thing is, I think onboarding in games is so important these days. Like, you really want to have a good, you know, good experience with that. And, and Dungeons and & Dragons had a great onboarding experience for yeah. the pen and paper, you know, world. So, um, yeah, that was, that was really cool. Yeah. Now, um, so that takes us up to about 11 years old. Now, as you become a teenager, (laughs) for some of us, we put the games away and then we found them later. For others, it was, you know, a passion all through high school, college and into adulthood. So where did you fall? Yeah, definitely the second category. I was um, I started reading this publication in Israel and hearing about new games. And I really got into um, something super mechanical hero system. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. And I got, when I traveled and at some point I got, um, or my parents did, I got a, I got the book and I started reading it. I don't think I understood what's going on until I was 17 or something, but first well, I took a degree to, it yeah. took a degree to understand hero system. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you know, I had the basics, I had energy blast, but somewhere they lost me with elemental control and multi power and all that different mechanical mathematical stuff. But I loved it, and I played it, I think, until it was... Um, actually, the first City of Mist campaign was in, in, in Hero System. So no I think kidding. Into, into my 20s, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, that's fascinating. So, trying to think of the best way to put this. I, I wouldn't have guessed that you were yeah, a oh. fan of Hero System. I wouldn't I have guessed that the first City of Mist was Hero System. Um, and like, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go to the next segment here in a moment to talk about, you know, the origins of City of Mist. So I'm headed in that direction. But I mean, was the crunchiness of Hero System that you, something you loved or something you put up with? I think Hero System was, um, it was a step in the way because really when I was playing um, uh, Dungeon, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, I was trying to create these superhero characters with the spells, with like flight, ray of death. Like I was trying to create Superman, stone skin, all these things, but I was just forcing it, you know? Right. So then comes Hero System and tells me you can create anything. And years later, somewhere in my, I don't think, maybe my late 20s, I met some really amazing uh, game masters. And one of them uh, showed me many systems. And one of those systems was Apocalypse World. Another system was Blackbird. Lady Blackbird, Lady Blackbird which is, yeah, which is tag based, and then I was like, "Whoa, whoa, wait! I can do this. I can do this. You can have any character you want without a degree, you know, in <laughs> yeah. applied sciences." And uh, so that's when we kind of evolved. So it's a, it's a whole evolution, but yeah, I mean, I love the idea of creating characters without the, without limitations. We're not gonna just like hammer you into a corner or create these exact, you know, same characters. 
go go crazy with your imagination and, and that's that's hero system and city of mist so that's the connecting yeah that connecting is the connection I, I agree a hundred percent so guys the insider insight series allows me to talk to developers designers artists writers and industry insiders about their creative process and how they approach their work today we're going to pick amit's brain about his approach to creating city of mist where did the first ideas appear from we got a little taste of that already what was his design process and approach and we're also going to talk about the reality of being a creator and studio owner. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. DZ Learguard here, creator of the M3E Crew Builder app. And I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because supporting great content creators like them is one of the best ways to help grow this game. So to join me and the other floor heads, go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, and we will see you there. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. So in getting ready for this podcast, I was I, I like... Like I said at the very beginning, uh, I've got questions. Um, I'm completely fascinated by City of Mist. Um, and it, to to the point where, um, like, I think understanding how this was made is going to help me understand the game better. Like, I know I, I haven't played the game yet, but I have been pouring over the books. I've been watching actual plays. Yeah. So let's start at the origins. And we kind of touched on a, a little bit before the break. So you're a fan of the hero system. You're a hero system ninja. And then you said, you know, the first version of City of Mist was in Hero System. But I want to take a step back. Where is the initial seeds of, and obviously the setting predated the mechanics. So let's talk about the setting. Where's the seeds of the setting coming from? Hmm, good question. Um, I mean, I was all, all, always into like mysticism, stuff like that. The, not so much you call it like, like Satanism, but... Um, or, or, de or, or no, even like the nice Satanism isn't so much my, my thing, but more like mystical stuff. And, uh, um, I've always been fascinated with it and I've always been fascinated with superheroes. And I realized that there is like a subsection of the superhero world that actually now things like, um, WandaVision are starting to explore, which is magic based superheroes. And I wanted to create a campaign that was magic based superheroes. And I did. And that was the first, uh, City of Mist. And that was a, a hero system game. And um, and there was one character there, which is a character in City of Mist now called Salamander, whose mythical source—sorry, whose mystical source—was that he has a mythos inside him. He has Got a it. legend inside him. Other ones had like magic powers, blah blah blah. So um, and then when I when I started thinking about creating City of Mist as a game and a setting for everyone, at some point very early on, it kind of locked in that. We need to do something different. This isn't just another superhero game. It's not even exactly a superhero game in many ways. Yeah. Um, it's more like urban fantasy now. And But the thing that fascinated me the most would, was to 
explore that on a larger scale and say, okay, everybody in City of Mist has a legend inside them. Uh, and and that's, that was the seed for this, um, for this setting, basically. And, and so listeners, for those of you that aren't familiar with it or haven't heard me running my mouth about this game, um, it, it's very unique. And, and Amita has touched on a little piece of it, which is this, this duality that exists for your player characters. And your player characters are some degree of uh, Logos, which is just regular people, and, and Mythos, which is these legends, uh, which is a great way to put it, I mean, that are, that are in, in inhabiting you and, and kind of the, the, the yin and yang and the push and the pull of the relationship yeah. between these. Um, and it's done even physically in the game. And we talk about the... Uh, uh, the mechanics of it later, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, so that makes a ton of sense that you had a character, you know, in your early versions and, and, you know, you come back to Salamander and go, you know what, that's actually, that's the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is definitely was the first kind of like mythos bearing individual right. in the city that got powers out of it. And then, yeah, that, I think that was him. And then there's a bunch of things in terms of mood and the, the noir mood that kind of built around it. And then I, I was kind of thinking, okay, I don't want it very much four color. I want it to be superhero. You know, I don't want it to, the flashy superhero thing. I want it to be much more gritty because the more I got into this mythos and logos thing, the more it was about real people. You know, yeah. there's, you know, there is something I want people to play real people. I want the players to play real people that have legendary, a legend inside them. And I think a lot of our, you know, friends in the hobbies sometimes feel like that. You know, you walk around, but you have your D&D character and That's you have right. that legend inside you. And you're like, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to fireball this place. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I wish I could heal that person. And, and it's in you, but it's, it doesn't come out. And that's kind of the mist, you know, that, that barrier between the legendary that's everybody has inside them and the ordinary. And, and that's how the setting started kind of like forming around that dichotomy or that duality. And, and so that helps me understand, you know, the, the players and, and the NPCs as a result, right? And you've got NPCs and then and uh, that are any combination, just like the players, including, you know, completely logos, right? And I forgot the term. I mean, uh, what is somebody who who's, has no acknowledgement of, of the legend? It's uh, they're sleepers. Sleepers. Yeah. sleepers yeah, thank yeah, you. Exactly. Um, but there's other aspects that are interesting to me. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I misunderstood, kind of the superhero mystical powers was kind of the beginning. When did the noir become a part of this? Was that you trying to find a setting for the logos part as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the gray morality, the detective element of it. So the more the mist became a thing, you know, that separation between Logos and Mythos became a thing in the setting. So in the setting, there is this force, this mystical, strange, unknown force that hides the legends. It's not like they go around acting like superheroes. It's actually a city where nobody knows anything about the legends, even though they're everywhere and they're pretty much running the city. Um, so that's kind of that started becoming like more of a metaphor for, you know, these very insidious forces in our world that are running everything. Maybe, you know, I don't want to be able to get into conspiracy theories, but, sure. you know, that idea that maybe it doesn't even have to be uh, people. It could be some forces, whatever. And, um, yeah, and I wanted to kind of, and I wanted to go into that and into people are kind of like, there's a mystery here. You have to investigate. You have to discover why, you know, what initially looks like an ordinary crime turns out to have the kind of like the the hand, the, the fingerprints of a, of a mythical uh, influence and you dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. So that was one thing, the investigation. That's a very noir thing. And then the grittiness of it. I just like, you know, I, I didn't want to tell a, a, a flashy story. I wanted to tell a gritty story. So, so, um, so the mist... Um, is, is a force that's in the city that um, allows sleepers to remain sleepers um, and, you know, even has, you know, and that's what our initial introduction to the mist is. Um, and it's a physical thing. It sounds like a metaphorical thing. And it solves a very interesting problem, which is the ability for these legends, uh, the, the legend part of people to express themselves and come out, but still not ruin their cover, right? So they don't have to wear masks because the mist... Uh, in many different ways prevents people from realizing that legends are there, but legends can identify each other. What I'd be curious about though is 
you know, it solves a problem. So did the mist as as a concept come from you saying, look, I've got to figure out how to solve this idea of like secret identity type thing? Or did the mist exist and you say, you know what? And it also does this. Does that make sense? I, I wonder where the mist became the mist. Yeah. So in that original uh, Hero System campaign, the mist was there. It was a part of wow. one of the characters' source of power. He was, uh, he was a, you know, the the... It's a little bit of a spoiler, but not that much. There are the gatekeepers behind the mist, and they're like this whole different class of things. And um, and he, so his character was really the first gatekeeper because he came up with it, and we kind very of fleshed out it out. And it was all very uh, mystical, but it wasn't actually hiding people's logos. So, or sorry, myth- mythos and legends. So that came on a little later as as a component that would keep it not a superhero story because it. It doesn't just prevent people from seeing, um, you know, seeing the legendary in action. It also keeps the city. There are a couple of setting elements that keep the city a noir city. Because if superpowers were blasting everywhere and then there is the whole question, you know, that newspaper um, title that says Supers Among Us kind of thing, that changes the setting completely. It kind of stops being a noir um, and if you want to keep it about real people or real problems, you have to at least mask it as something ordinary. So that's when it, the mist became also a cover up. So the last big piece for me um, that that I was just uh, bowled over with is deciding it's going to be a city, right? So you you are going to confine this to a city and yeah. nobody leaves. And, you know, why did, why was that happening? Why did you decide, you know, I want, I want to put walls up here and you already had, it sounds like you already had mechanisms to make that happen, right? The mist allows that and it kind of fits in, but I'd be more curious why the decision to do it at all. Yeah. So like you said, in the setting, if you kind of try to drive out of the city, you're something's going to happen. You're not going to drive out of the city. And, and before that, even um, people in the city, including the player characters, are defined as kind of not really interested in what's going on outside of the city. There is a force that pulls their attention to the city. And that I think that's there's a couple of reasons for this. First of all, I felt like if it starts going into like, again, like a superhero campaign, like, okay, we find that lost land, we go into other dimensions. There is a little bit of other dimension, but it's all within the, the connection to the city. Um, if you if you start going on to like the global or sorry the national level the global level it's not a noir story anymore that it, right. you lost it again and it's again too similar to our world to raise the kind of questions that I wanted the game to raise it's like whoa is this reality real you know I kind of wanted people to ask is this reality real in the game and then maybe kind of in a matrix way outside of the game. Um, and, and that, that was serving it very much. So I decided to do that. Of course, people do whatever they want with it. They play in whatever they want. You can, you know, the game really helps you build your own city, decide what is the mist for yourself. There is like a canonical answer, but there's also a lot of tools to make your own answers, decide whether the city actually exists in a real world and it's separated from it, or it doesn't exist. You know, it's a figment city. and yeah, I really like giving the tools to people to create their own thing. I just kind of wanted to put my thing out there and then. Um, yeah, it, it, and it's neat as somebody, you know, consuming it, Amit, because I, you know, I I went in there and I went searching for answers. You know, I gra- I got a couple of the books and I was going through them like, you know, it's got to be in here somewhere. And then I quickly realized he's just hinting at things and, and, and he and you're allowing us to to make it ours. So you have put you put some guardrails up because it helps it sounds like reinforce a lot of the thematics that you wanted to have exactly. happen there. It allowed you to, you know, to not only create the world and setting you wanted but to maintain it, right? Because with this legendary stuff it could get completely out of hand very very quickly, which is interesting. So my next thought is then when I got the game or came across the game initially, um, I, I was expecting, you know, a supers game and there, I, I got a sense of the mystical before I purchased it. Right. Then I got the game and started realizing that this is way beyond the genre of superheroes. Um, and what really kind of um, tipped that off to me was how open ended the legendary piece is. Um, and I'd be curious, when did that form? When did you decide, you know what? legendaries can be anything it could be an object it could be a fairy tale it could be it could be a superhero um and and making it that open when did that 
start to form and where did it come from that decision? That's a good question. I actually can't super pinpoint it. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think that there is uh, there are two elements here. First of all, when you see people use the the open ended um, system to create different characters and you see them using things that aren't just like classic fairy tales or myths, then you're kind of start thinking. So there is an element of play testing in it. And um, the other side of it is also a little more theoretical. I, I thought about it and I said, well, wait, anything is a story. A superhero is a story. Um, you know, the idea of evolution, one of the characters is built around the idea of evolution. That, you know, obviously we have um, certain, you know, factual information to support it, but it's, it's still a story that we tell each other. Um, <clears throat> and um, so I, I didn't... You know, the more we continued to build uh, City of Mist, the more I wanted to focus on legends because I also saw it as a platform to share many different cultures and legends with people. But I always left that door open and I see that players use it way more than we do. So they do <laughs> anything under the sun and they're having fun with it. And so I wouldn't find it very uh, interesting, but a lot of people take existing fictional characters from other games they like and use it as their mythos, which is really cool. It's it's really, really neat. So um, I had uh, John Harper on the show, and uh, one of the things, speaking of Lady Blackbird... So speaking about inspiration. Yeah, um, and uh, John was had a really interesting phrasing, which is, you know, he the way, and, and I'm going to misquote him here, so I apologize, John, if you're listening. Um, he said, you know, creating role planes is, is I'm building an instrument to give to Absolutely. somebody else to play. And he says, I love hearing people play the instruments I create. And boy, oh boy, you, I mean, you have created, you know, something very, very unique. You've created something that um, begs for creativity from the from the player side and from the GM side. So I've got to know, you know, now that your game is out there in the world, it is no longer under your control, right? Now other people <laughs> are making it theirs, which is what we do with role-playing. What have you seen out there that kind of has blown your mind a little bit? Have you seen people take your game to a place or explore things in your game that you're like, you know what? I never thought about that. And that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always give the same example because it was the best example. It was actually in one of my games when I gave the players complete uh, authority at the beginning of the game to create the city and what and the game, what it, what the game is going to be about. And they're like, we want to make it about a Jewish community center support group. And I was like, really? That's what we want to have our game about? <laughs> and they said, yes, that's what we want to do it. And and they didn't all take like Jewish legend and mythology characters, but some of them did and philosophers. And oh my gosh, it was the craziest game I've ever played. It ended. No kidding. It is actually the basis for one of the... Um, one of the sub-story arcs in Knights of Paintown. Like, the villain, everything. It was just, they took it to a totally different level. It was very psychological. So we have a, 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 book, a book coming out now. It's out in PDF, coming out in print called um, Knights of Paintown, and it has three sub-story arcs. It's a whole big story arc. And one of them is called the personal story arc. It's very psychological. The threats there are very, um, you know, that kind of... Um, color and uh, that all that all came from that they decided that they wanted to isn't do it. that something yeah and it was one of them was a psychologist who was leading it and other others were um different disturbed people it's amazing amazing so <laughs> uh, maybe i shouldn't say that word but anyway it was no i know what you're saying though <laughs> yeah and it and it's it's proof that you know when you it's amazing what someone can do um, when you give them, you know, just enough to kind of kickstart it and go. And again, that's part, part of what we love the most about the hobby. Um, so there's a lot of things that I think that make, um, make your game very unique, uh, make it really stand out in the, in the very crowded lads landscape that we have now with role playing. Um, but one of them is stylistically. So, um, I'd be curious to know when, when you started to adopt the look and the feel um, of of the game itself, because it is striking. The art is striking. The how you lay out the book is very striking. Um, and so I'd be real curious to know, like, when did that manifest itself? Right. So this basically happened through the union between, um, you know, between my kind of ideas for the world and uh, an artist that I knew before I started working this and actually kind of recruited around the time that I started working on City of Mysteriously, 
who is Marching Sobon, our master artist that created pretty much 90% of everything you see in City of Mist. And um, yeah, we started creating this. Uh, it was obvious to me that I wanted uh, noir. It was obvious to me that I wanted superhero. Um, I was very much inspired by The Wolf Among Us, which is a fables game. Interesting. Um, I haven't played that. Yeah, it's a great, great game. Very investigative. Uh, and it's also about, you know, fables is about legends in the world, but real world, but reverse. They still perceive themselves as legends rather than, uh, you know, everyday individuals. Um, and the other thing was like, we tried, you know, obviously we created a, a you know, artboard and all these things. And one of, uh, one of the influences was actually the um, Green Hornet um, comic books. That makes sense. So that was, especially the lighting and not so much yep. like the gizmos, but the lighting, everything was to do, you know, with, with the kind of a neo-noir um, light and shadow play. Um, so that was, that was a big deal. That sounds like a, a great partnership because, I mean, it, um, the art style bridges the superhero and the noir it's both at the same time and i think it really it helped me um as a consumer to really understand where this was headed and on top of that even if i've never played your game it's just gorgeous it's an absolutely gorgeous game um so I, I had to know you know how that came together so now that the game is created obviously you're still putting stuff out for it it's still evolving over time and things like that um how how old is the game now for you which is different than when it was released so when we think about you know when it when it became final how long has the game been the game that's a very savvy question <laughs> yeah so it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 you, you've been talking to developers i can tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's you know it, it depends i mean if you look at when i started creating this uh universe it's it's i don't know 15 years old but i don't consider it and that's not its age for me i think about five years wow. uh, a little a little a little more than five years maybe uh, when i started really creating this system this setting you know not a, a previous uh, version of it right yeah so and, it's, it's been it's been around a while i mean it's been published for already four years so right uh, right the end uh, of the year, it'll be four years so so that helps me then with my next question is, is as I've been talking to developers and designers, the one there, I've heard a commonality, which I find very interesting, which it sounds like it's common for there to have been one big change at what ended up being the end. Right. So the game was in development, it went through iterations, and then there was a, a, a relatively major change made that suddenly everything clicked, everything fell together. And you were like, yeah, it's ready now. Now it's ready. And I'd be curious if that happened to you. Was there something that you struggled with and then you finally figured out and solved and then went, yeah, I think it's ready now. Um, for me, I think it was a little different. I think there was a big moment relatively in the beginning uh, or in the beginning or middle. And then there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of more of like, I don't know what to call it, but just like more mechanical work. And yeah, and like coming up. So I'll just give you an example. The the core of City of Mist, the core of the mechanics for City of Mist is the um, the tags system. The the merging between tags, which is more like Lady Blackbird and the uh, Apocalypse World mechanics. So the fact that, I realized that, wait, tags could be anything. I could allow people to create whatever character they dream up from any story, any of the fact that that moment when I said, okay, but if I, how do I make it interesting mechanically? And that marrying these two things, which it's, you know, it's, it's, it's out of my hands at this point. A lot of people have compared it to fate, to a lot of these yep. things. Um, that connection is is the core of City of Me. So when I got that, I was like, okay, I have something. Like, I'm not going to go out there with an absolute duplicate of everything that's been made already. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> which some people don't mind and they do great work. So, but to me, I was kind of like, I wanted to do something different. And then it was like adding things onto it and adding things onto it. Like, for example, when I just figured out that the statuses... Uh, which are conditions in City of Mist are going to be nonlinear, like you'd have to like keep adding them up in order to reach the next tier. Um, that was a big, mo smaller moment, but one of those mechanical moments around the core. 
So guys, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back from this break, I want to talk about the game a little bit more mechanically. So we've covered it thematically. We have an understanding of the setting. Um, The mechanics are fascinating. So uh, let's take a quick break and let's talk about those. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new play mat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. You were not my first role-playing game, Um, but um, it's been a while for me since I've opened up something and I didn't immediately trace the lineage, right? So I come across, you know, John Harper's Blades in the Dark and it's, you know, I could tell where it was born from, right? And it, you know, and, and, you know, same thing. In some ways you could do with Touchstone or, you know, major things like Apocalypse World. You could see where the beginnings of it were before and iterations before. Yours, I was just like, wow, I've never, I've never seen some of this before. And and I want to start with um, the character sheets, um, and it's literally plural uh, for one player. Um, and uh, for those listening, uh, we've talked about the the yin and yang, the pull and the push of the logos and the mythos with the person. Well, when you're playing City of Mist, you get really four character sheets, um, each one of them representing and they flip over one side or the other. And depending if you're three to one, one to three or four to zero, really, really demonstrates that. Um, when did that become a real thing as well? Because it's a beautiful way to demonstrate the thematics that are, that are coming to it. Where did that idea come from? So just to um, not make people run to the, to the hills, each one of those character sheets, in quotes, has maybe 20 words on it or yeah, less. Yeah, they're like bookmarks. So they're amazing. They're, like, they're, they're not like actual four character sheets. <laughs> it's not so GURPS. Not like Hero System or GURPS, <laughs> <Right>. exactly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, your character sheet is made out of four cards. These cards each represent one of four themes in your character. Um, that idea of themes has actually came, uh, it came from one of um, uh, the iterations of City of Mist. So there was that original uh, hero system. There was a, another campaign that we played in Fate. And, um, oh, okay. Um, and um, that felt like a little too hand wavy for me. So I needed to find something that would do both. And also in Fade, I kind of felt like, wow, you have this great thing called Aspects. It could be anything. But then you have all these skills and powers that are just like any other super, uh, sorry, uh, role-playing game in many other, in many ways. Not a lot, but um, it, the same limits, you know? And right. I was like, mm, I kind of want everything to be Aspects. So that, that's how City of Mist came, came by. And um and yeah, that, that aspect of four themes came from there when I was like, okay, okay, four is a pretty good number to represent what we want to highlight. It doesn't mean that it's all in your life, in your character's life. It doesn't mean that's all the powers she has, but these are the things that we're going to see the most in the game and focus on. And, um, and the most important thing was what you said, that the ability to change the balance closer and further from your uh, mythos or logos and... Yeah, and just like and and then it's the ability to actually lose a card and gain another card from the other side. That was a whole separate development of like character development, saying that I want people to be Spider Man in this uh, game. I want people to I don't know what lose um, MJ and then you know become more super powered or have problems at home and then lose their powers for a while. And I want that thing to happen to a character during the course and it doesn't happen with with role-playing games because it's so much you know you only grow you only gain xp nothing there are no ups and downs it's very linear so yeah so so when you look at this thing it actually has multiple pieces inside it 
So now that you're five years into this, um, as far as it's kind of being what it is now, um, if you look back on it, are there um, are there influences or key moments that you can think of that you may not have been aware of five years ago or four years ago or six years ago? But now that, you know, you have the chance of hindsight, you can go back and see, you know, from beginning to end. I'd be curious to know if there's there's particular moments that you that you think were significant. We've talked about some of them, but um, I'm talking specifically mechanically. Um, so. Uh, Maybe the tag system um, w- w- was one of the keys in incorporating it in there. Was there other times where you just um, just said, you know, wait, wait a minute, this is this is a this is a big deal, and, and it changed everything? Um, was it really really around uh, just the tags? It was mostly around the tags. I, I remember playing the tags. Totally came from Lady Blackbird. I remember playing Lady Blackbird, great game by John Harper, and um, and. Um, you know, I was like, wow, wow, you had to die for every relevant tag. That's a really amazing mechanic. But I want the I want something from from Apocalypse World. It was, I, I really got into Apocalypse World at some point. And I want that narrative drive that is in the moves. So how do I marry that? And I was like, okay, okay, let's do, um, you know, just like an aspect. This isn't a new, new thing. You had uh, Lady Blackbird, you had Fate Aspect. How do I incorporate it into this system? And uh, <clears throat> and it was just basically, yeah, plus one for your role for every tag that applies. And and the more I started using that, you know, I had a lot of different mechanics that just dropped because you don't need those other mechanics. Yeah, when you amazing. have tags and you have yep. statuses, you're like, okay. So statuses are tags that describe conditions. And now you you don't have 10 conditions. You don't have hit points. You don't have anything. You just have those tags that are stronger or weaker, like um, injured or, you know, um, hunted by the police or every possible thing that you could think of. cursed, uh, time frozen. I don't know, whatever you can think of. Well, so. it, it, it's, it's really funny to me um, as I'm digesting your game, because how do I want to put this? Um, it's so open that at times I find myself a little intimidated um, and scared to run it, to be quite honest with you. Now, as I've, you know, as I've, and that was initial reactions. Now that I'm getting deeper into it and stuff, I, I don't have those feelings, but, you know, starting with something as simple, like if I sit someone down, I meet and say, let's play Dungeon of Dragons. You can be a cleric, you can be a druid, you can be a fighter, right? I sit down with somebody and say, let's play City of Mist and, and you can be anything. I'll be over here if you need me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd be curious um, for you as the creator, um, you know, how that works for you or, or how do you help shepherd that? Or if there we have GMs listening that want to run this game, what kind of advice can we give them to kind of help kickstart this process off? Because in some ways, the open endedness and the freedom of it is can, can be daunting. Intimidating. Yeah. So now five years in, I can tell you that I totally agree with you. And that's <laughs> that's kind of the original sin of CDFness is like, wow, I have this amazing system. Yeah, great. Everyone's going to enjoy it. And then you come out with it and people are like, so what do I do? I mean, I don't know. I don't have an idea. And yeah. for me, my, my brain is just like constantly spewing these things out. And I know there are people out there who are the same, but not everyone is like that. So pretty much every every thing we did since was to try and kind of create, we have maybe five or six degrees of support, right? So you have the, the pre-gens. We have loads of pre-gens that you can just like take it, start playing. Um, we have um, now in the new in the new um, expansions, uh, Shadows and Showdowns, we actually have pre-made themes that you can just say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and boom, you, I bake a character. Previously, we had pre, pre-made sets of themes. You had to build the themes your own, uh, yourself, but you still like got help with which themes to choose. And within the theme books, we have questions that follow, that lead you through it. And you just answer questions, um, which are called the theme books. And this is really the character creation. So we have a lot of layers of support for that. But definitely, this is the weak point of the system. Absolutely. And um, I'm glad that we had the chance to correct it in a way. Yeah, I I don't know if I feel comfortable with weak part. Um, I think it's I think it's the unique part. Um, I mean, and, and, and I appreciate you saying the weak part because that was it's still not the right word for me. Uh, intimidating was the, is the best word I can come up with. It was, in, it was intimidating at first. 
Um, but like you've said, as, as I started to get some more resources around me, I reached my comfort level. And I one thing I appreciate, so here's a little bit of smoke to blow, blow your way. I appreciate that you allow us to find our comfort level as game runners and, and as players to decide how much, how much do I want to meet to help me learn how to play this game or to yeah. or define this game? Um, Cause you definitely make it so that, look, I can just grab this and I can make, do whatever the hell I want. I can make the city, whatever I want it to be. I can make the mist, whatever I want it to be. But you also say, you know, if, if that's a little much, Craig, if you don't have that much in you, here's some things that'll help you um, yeah. along the way. Um, so, you have been living and breathing this game for a very long time. I'd be very curious to know, are you playing other games? Um, so do you, is, is, is this tie up all of your role playing? Um, or is there other games out there that you're playing and enjoying right now? Well, right, right now I'm not because I'm kind of starting to getting into the next game. So most of my time is going into that, but in the past years, definitely. I mean, I've th probably what I've played the most is, and I always say that star Wars uh, by FFG. I love this yeah. game. I love Genesis. I think it's a very light and narrative version of the most more like gamified games. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of things uh, that are very inspiring in it. I love Star Wars. I didn't so much have fun with Genesis in, in other settings so much. Um, the, uh, yes, yes, yeah. my, my experience is 100% the same. I mean, so I had left role playing for like 20 years. Um, and when the uh, pandemic hit, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my first love, which was role playing. I'm going to start playing this. And the That's first cool. game I got was Star Wars Genesis, um, was the Star Wars FFG thing. And now I want you to imagine I left GURPS, Hero System and Champions. I come Ouch. back. Yeah, I come back and I'm like, what the hell happened to role playing games? And then I get City of Mist. I'm like, what? what's going on right now? And then I get Apocalypse World, you know, it's just like blew yeah. my mind. Yeah. But um, I I found the same thing. So I had Jay Little on the show and it was fascinating to learn where the narrative dice came from, um, because I think they're That's like, awesome. you, to your point, they're beautiful. They're really, really interesting um, things. But I tried Genesis and I can read Genesis and I understand Genesis and love it. And I've tried it and I just want to play Star Wars. That's the only thing I yeah, want to play. Yeah, the game. I don't know why. I don't know why. I, don't I, mean, I know there are things in the design of Genesis that I can point at. But those those trees in the Star Wars, that's awesome. And, you know, yep. all the, it's really so customizable and yet so simple. You know, I've been when I have like a free couple of hours, I just like show up on Roll20 with a, with one of those drop-in games. I'm going to run a, and, you know, new people who've never played the system comp, I teach them and we play within a couple of hours. That's amazing yeah. to me. That's a really nope. good system. So. No, I, compl I completely agree. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about um, himself publishing and creating a company to, uh, to put out this game. We'll be right back. There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift and you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So there was a lot of different ways, I mean, that you could have taken this idea and put it out into the world. Um, you could have gone to Green Ronin. You could have, there's, you know, Atlas Games. There's a lot of ways to do it. Um, did you know from the beginning that you were going to do this by yourself, which, by the way, is probably a terrible idea, even though it's done, gone well for you. But when did you make that choice um, or were you forced to? Um, yeah, definitely not Force too. I think that when you go into a Kickstarter and it, you know it does what it does um, and it succeeds, and then then something, you know, you you kind of have to answer that in a way. Like you said, it's it's it was a very very mixed journey because there were yeah. 
you know, it's, it's the more Son of Oak became a company, the harder it became because I was yeah. a game creator and a, and a manager at the same time. There were countless problems. I mean, just it's very, very difficult, I have to say. Um, we're in a way only coming out of that now because we're we are um th this problem of being a ceo and a, and a, or whatever a manager or or a, and a game designer at the same time really dragged us into an immense crawl with those expansions that are coming out now you know yeah. it's almost three years since we kickstarted them i mean just no that's kidding. crazy that's yeah that's yeah. a very long time i never planned it to be this way i did everything in my capacity as someone who's you know certainly has no business degree um, to to make it happen. And I'm very proud of where we are now, uh, considering. But yeah. it's, you know, you go into it as a game designer and you don't really, I have to say, admittedly, I did not know um, what I'm getting into. And I had to learn as I, as I, as I went along. Well, and I would imagine it's got to be difficult because you, you've created your own uh, funnel, right? You've created your own... Uh, dam that's holding the river from flowing um, just by the fact that you're you're in both roles um, as the creator and as the owner. But let's go back in time then before the first Kickstarter. Um, did you when did you decide Kickstarter? Because you could have shopped this around and it sounds like you may not have. Did you always know kick you're going to go with Kickstarter to get this out there? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I started seeing Kickstarter being more and more, you know, successful. And, and now it's not even what it was five years ago. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that was, I just, I didn't really think I had a chance, honestly. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe it was a little naive, but I didn't really think I had a chance of, of shopping it around to anyone. I was in Israel. I didn't have the connections. I didn't yep. know anyone. I didn't go to conventions. I needed to start with something. I needed to put some, show people what I can do and then kind of circle back and say, we could, you know, we could keep doing this. Um, so that was my plan. And, and yeah. it happened. It happened. It was much uh, more complicated than I thought, but it was it was cool to realize that. And now every, I've talked to several people that have done Kickstarters and um, there's very, the, especially the first ones, there's very varying degrees of horror stories and successes. Where do you find yourself on that spectrum now that you look back on it? Do you think that... Um, you got lucky with the first Kickstarter or you, you were smart enough to do well with the first Kickstarter? And is there mistakes that you've made uh, that you've learned from? Yeah, there's there are definitely mistakes <laughs> that have been made. Um, I think what happened with the first Kickstarter, is it's very interesting. Um, it kind of created a situation where we obviously overpromised things. I mean, it took us years to, to finish uh, you know, the core book and well, the core book went faster, but, you know, the whole business side of it that you actually have to develop after a Kickstarter, I didn't even think about it. Honestly, I just didn't think about it. And and then I realized that I have to um, create a whole business side by side with developing this badass game. I was like, OK, that's interesting. So I think what the what the Kickstarter did was in a way shackle me to this. It's, interesting. Like, it's kind of a harsh word, but. If you think about it, it's, it's got to like, feel that way sometimes. It feels that that way, but it was actually beneficial because there is no way that I would do and create and work as hard as I worked if it wasn't for, okay, these people are waiting for this and I have to create it. And um, just to be very honest, you know, there are some people have amazing work ethics. I have my work ethic thanks to City of Mist. <laughs> This is like, and, and, and I work around, it did, it did absolutely. And I work around the clock. Like I really, I mean, yeah. I um, so, and it's that, that also has to kind of end at some point. So now I'm looking yep. into, you know, partnering and doing different things that would kind of, you know, create more of a room for me as a game creator and maybe, but now we've reached a certain place. I can do it. But do, during those yeah. years, no way. I mean, you just had to do everything. You had to sell, you had to market, you had to uh, print, you had to art, you know, art direct and everything. Yeah. hire, no. fire, all these things. Uh, it, it's stunning. Um, here's some more smoke for you. It's stunning how beautiful and elegant the game is considering all of that um, and considering how challenging all of that would be. It doesn't look like 
Fisher Price, my first role playing game. It looks like a very <laughs> developed and um, professional product. Um, so, you know, hats you. off on Thank that because that could not have been easy to do. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, as, you, as you're going through it. And, and I think a lot of people, and I'm learning this because I've never done a Kickstarter. I've <laughs> spent, spent more money than I want to admit on Kickstarter, but I've never created one, nor would I do I think I ever want to. But one thing I, <laughs> that I think a lot of people don't realize, and you've kind of touched on a little bit, is part of the beauty and bane of Kickstarter. The beauty being it allows you to be funded up front, allows you to, you know, to essentially pre-order um, in, in a lot of ways. But then that's it. There's no more money. And, and, and now, now you have got to deliver and now you've got that pressure and that big, big lump of some money that's dropped into your lap at the very beginning, isn't going to get bigger. It only keeps getting smaller and smaller. And I I literally can't imagine how stressful that must've been. Extremely. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got the people commenting and stuff. I mean, it's, I have to say that I have to really, really, I really appreciate the patience, the immense, immense patience that our community has shown to us. I thank the backers every day in my heart because they could have really, you know, I mean, I know, I know that some people have kind of said that's, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not in here anymore. And I understand that. Uh, I think they are actually few and the people, because we see it from Kickstarter to Kickstarter and the people who, um, you know, stayed throughout this period have been amazing. I think that like what you said, one thing that we never, me and my team have never compromised on was the, was the quality and, and the, thank you. And, and, and that's why it took so long, you know, because at some points, like you say, you're out of money, you have to figure out what you're doing next. How are you, you have to stop developing and do sales because, because it's not gonna, it's just, you can't. So, yeah. So I, I really appreciate the people who stood behind us. It's amazing. Not just the backers, also people who pre-ordered from our site. That's pretty much equivalent. So, um, yeah, we've had a lot of help. It's not just me. It's not just me and the team. It's There's a lot of people behind the City of Mist. So now that the game is out there, um, people can purchase it off the website, you know, um, and things like that. I'd be curious to know, has there mm-hmm. anything that's really <clears throat> surprised you as far as reviews and feedback um, either positive or negative um, stuff that people have said that you didn't anticipate either positive or negative. Um, I guess the positive thing is I'm surprised how many Dungeons and Dragons players move over to City of Mist. Yeah. That's just a shocker to me because I would expect that it's, it's, it would be a very kind of indie thing. And um, yeah, people just love they just, they make that move. There is that group of people, and so much that we started creating uh, content for. How do you move from Dungeons and Dragons to City of Mist <laughs> to just like usher these people in? But it, it's a thing. So that was a big surprise, and I'm very obviously very happy about it. Um, yeah, I mean, and some of the stuff you said, I think that came as a shock. All of the creativity is is intimidating, which in my head isn't there, but it's obviously a thing. And um, starting to discover it. And, you know, I, I literally had one player in a playtest kind of at the end of two, three sessions. He, you know, he sat me down and said, look, I mean, the creativity that I need to make one move in this game is all that I have for the whole session. <laughs> so I'm out. And this guy liked his, you know, he liked his systems and his rules and his structure. And I, I admire, I mean, this is what you want to do. So many games there, everybody can get what they want. And, um, and I, you know, that's, that's totally fine. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's, uh, that's a very, it's true. So there's no argument. It's actually true. So, um, (laughs) you're not, you're not, you're not going to claim this is the only game you ever need to play and it's perfect for everybody. (laughs) No such thing. so last question, and it might be a question you can't answer, um, is uh, the Son of Oak uh, always going to be a City of Mist company, or is <laughs> it? Uh, is there a possibility of us seeing other things? So that's a yes and no, because um, we are definitely, you know, City of Mist, is, we're not the company that maybe a lot of other companies' um, business model works, you know, by, by making three, four, um, not, not three or four, maybe two one or two games a year. You know, you can see a lot of the companies that are moving a lot of product and that's fine. That's great. This is really not me. So it's not going to be Son of Oak. 
And we're kind of building City of Mist to be a community and a game that is more supported long-term. So we're going to continue, um, you know, publishing more things. There's a big chunk coming out now, but there's going to be more uh, more content coming on. And there's going to be a kind of a creator's marketplace, like the DMs Guild, where nice. everybody can, or uh, the Foundry, I think, for uh, Genesis, yep. where people can create their own stuff and share. And I, I think that's going to bring a lot of uh, a lot of new interesting content. So that's in terms of City of Mist. It's, it's staying. Um but I am also working, and I've announced it a couple of times in our community. I'm working on a on a next gen game. That's it's it's not City of Mist two o. It's like fifteen. It's it's a it's a <laughs> because I've had five years to see the problems with City of Mist or yeah. things that I would change, things that I would streamline, and also I think that the world is going to a, a less text heavy um, form of gaming. So that's where we're going to take our gaming. And you'll hear about it when it comes up. Well, I'm going to have to have you come back on the show when it does. <laughs> that uh, you, you do a nice, that's a, that's a well-rehearsed tease. <laughs> <laughs> Just I'm enough to be my interest. My pearls here. <laughs> but but you, you told me nothing, which is fantastic. <laughs> that's, that's basically as much as I can tell. But yeah, it's, you, I can understand. Imagine, you can imagine that um, yeah, th- this is the way we're going. It's going to be very, very light in one in some ways, but like City of Mist, it's going to allow you to create um, um, really everything. You know, it will, it will be a universal system, unlike City of Mist. So um, very interesting. So, so I mean, for those listening that want to want to get their hands on this, where should they go? Please come to our site, our store, cityofmist.co, not .com, .co. You can also just put in City of Mist in Google and you'll find us. Um, that's the best place uh, to get it. You can also get it on Amazon if you want. Uh, but if you want to help us out, probably better get it on our site. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, ha- we'll have a link to the site directly on there. Um, and if, um, I mean, obviously you've got a starter pack. Um, so is, the, is that in your, is that, this might sound like a dumb question, but it not necessarily is. Is that the place to go? So if someone is, wants to kind of dip their toes in, is that the place to get started? Is picking yeah, that absolutely. up? Yeah, the starter, the starter box is uh, kind of a later model in a way of, of how we teach. So it's a learn-as-you-play process. You have a book for the – that's a little like uh, fighting fantasy. You have a book for the MC, a, book, a booklet for the MC, and a booklet for the players. And the MC tells you, go to that page, and now we'll learn how to – Fight. Now we'll learn how to make moves. Now we'll learn about your character sheet. So it's it's a kind of a learn as you play experience. And of course, it has a case, investigation, characters, and dice, and maps, and tokens, and all that. It, it helped. It helped me a lot. I got to tell you because I got the book first, mm. and 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 getting the starter pack. Even though I don't think I would use those characters, I don't think I would run that adventure the way the way it's structured it it, it made some connections for me um so yeah. I, I can definitely see where that would be the place to start well i mean um we're gonna have to come up with an excuse to have you back but i want to thank you for taking the time thank you for having me this was a, an absolute pleasure i'm glad and for those of you that stuck around to the end listening thanks for watching take care Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. That is so funny that that that's the game that you mentioned because it was uh, I still I run two actual plays still of um, of Star Wars. I absolutely love that system. Are you telling me you're only back one year? Uh, just since a, the beginning just, of the pandemic, just over a, yeah, it'd be just over a year. So I I I made the decision because I was playing miniature games, um, and this podcast started as a Malifaux by Weird Games, the Malifaux miniatures game. Mm-hmm. That was where this podcast started. Um, wow! Uh, but as my interests, you know, 
veer, um, you know, so does the podcast. But um, yeah, it's only been about a year now. But I was deep into role playing games in college and high school. Um, But uh, and and never fell out of love with role playing. I just didn't play for whatever reason. And it didn't take long for me just to remember why it's like it's just the best. And now I'm just having a ton of fun. Um, And then to top it off, I have just been so lucky with people like you and other people like saying yes to coming on my yeah, podcast. Yeah, I mean, you've spoken to some really amazing uh, yeah, um, my, people. Like, like, Talk to your people. Uh, yeah, I've got Steve Jackson coming on next week, which kind of blows wow, my mind. Like when I got uh, the Bakers, I was super excited, you know, to have the Bakers and stuff. And, yeah, yeah. But now, you know, like, like, you know, at some point someone's going to say no to me, but it hasn't happened yet. I've been very, well, very lucky. Not um, but I will. Uh, I'll shoot you a link, uh, me to the uh, Jay Little episode because I think you would oh, enjoy yeah, hearing yeah. hearing yeah. where that idea came from. Uh, and he's Absolutely. an interesting guy, real interesting guy. Cool, cool. <laughs> All right, I'll bring us back. That was fantastic, sir. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. Good. <laughs> I'm totally gonna call him. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Isn't it funny? Oh my gosh, I should totally, you know. You're not going to believe this, Mom. I was on a stupid podcast. I got so much flack over the years. It's all her fault. (laughs) Next day, for every time she told told you to go get a job, now you can say, hey, this is all on you, Mom. Yeah. And, you know, know, now that we're here, it's also a good thing. So she can relax. (laughs) That's funny. All right, I'll bring us back. you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers. Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.